All right. All right, gentlemen, thanks for coming. Um, this was, uh, this, the, the, the idea for doing these marriage workshops came uh, many, many months ago. Um, I, I remember talking to a married couple in our church, and uh, the wife was saying to me, you sh- we should have uh, marriage se- seminars, marriage uh, workshops. And uh, I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I, like a few weeks after that, another couple asked me. And then uh, a few weeks after that, another couple asked me. So uh, there's actually, I think, a, a lot of desire and uh, eagerness and interest in wanting to attend to marriage. I think uh, marriage is not something that you can go on cruise control, right? Um, that's perhaps one of uh, the sins or the flaws that we're easily fall into. So I thought it would be good to think about it in an intense way and to invite uh, a trained therapist to share his experiences. And so this is uh, Dr. Brian Kay. He's, uh, he, was, he's, he is a pastor, but he was a pastor uh, for many, many years. He got his PhD at the University of Bristol in the UK, and uh, he's currently on staff at uh, Christ Church Berkeley. So I'm really thankful for him to come and give us his time and his expertise. So let me welcome you all. Thanks, Michael. That's a that's not a bad introduction. I don't know where you dug up <laughs> my academic record and everything. Well, I'm always impressed when uh, there's a PhD. Okay. That's <laughs> um, all. Those things are true. I, I sort of, as a human being, balance this world between pastoral ministry and and therapy, counseling, psychotherapy. I'm a marriage and family therapist. Uh, as well as um, kind of a regular preaching pastor at our Lafayette church site. So I really hang out in both of those worlds, which it sometimes is, is a great combo, I think, for talking about a, a topic such as this, getting into marriage, because it's, um, on one hand, marriage is something that is so deeply rooted in Scripture as a, um, as, a, as, a, as a gift to us from God that has all kinds of deep theological and spiritual ramifications. But on the other hand, it's uh, an arena that's um, fraught with so many specific um, human struggles, emotional struggles, stuff that our family of origin influences that I've, I've found very much that the, the therapy side of my brain has been well exercised in trying to uh, learn how to help folks within marriages. Can I just get a little quick check on how many of you are, in fact, married? Okay, that's, yeah, that's great. And then... Michael mentioned, as I'm glad he did, to welcome it to anyone, even if they're pre-married or post-married or anywhere. The, um, you know, the topic is marriage renewal, and I love to, being a guest speaker in situations like this because it gets me off the hook entirely from having to have this long, um, slow burn ministerial relationship with you, where I have to watch my P's and Q's and make sure we maintain a great relationship, and then and then dive into sort of prophetic intensity occasionally, uh, I can just dive right in. And you can say, that guy was a, uh, is a ding-a-ling, and I hope I've never seen him again. Actually, I'm coming back next week, so you have to... Put to the wise. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. You may never see me again. Uh, so I'm, I feel very free. I was reading a great book on public speaking and presentations a few weeks ago, and it mentioned this fact that We've all heard a million times probably that when you when you start a talk, it's often great to have a um, a hook, some kind of a, a sentence that arrests everyone's attention and grabs you for the rest of it. So my hook here is that if uh, if you've been married for more than 
let's say, three months, and you're not in a coma, uh, you probably feel like your marriage is in trouble. Or maybe you don't, but your wife does. <laughs> and maybe she's told you, and maybe she hasn't. That's a, that's a slightly oversized statement, but I wanted to get out of there in a big way, because the, the worst thing that happens in Christian settings is to take a rose-colored glasses view of marriage, that it is this um, unvarnished, pleasant, wonderful thing, and, and that we're all doing pretty well, and so blessed by God in it, when in fact there is a mortal struggle going on in each of your lives if you're married, I, I'd say. Uh, filled with light and darkness, and it's a, a pretty intense place to be for decades upon decades. So we're here to kind of acknowledge that, and I want to give you some sense of why that might be true, and also uh, possibly a ridiculously practical exercise and way of speaking to your wives that you may choose to take up or reject entirely, but I'm just going to go for it. Uh, on one hand, uh, marriage is a gift of God, obviously. We have to get that out there and thank him for it. It's, it's Genesis 2 tells us that this is one of the main gifts to Adam and Eve, is the gift of each other. But the question I want to raise, too, is what, what kind of a gift is marriage? I gave uh, my son, about two days ago, after school, gave him the gift of frozen yogurt. <laughs> and it was uh, went to this place called Tangelo in Moraga. And he chose to get this big tub of cookies, cookies and cream flavored uh, yogurt. And on top of that was Skittles. And then piled on top of that was Sour Patch Kids, if you know what that is. And it was this, well, for me it was sickly sweet and disgusting. But for him, the kind of gift it was was this uh, unbroken experience of sweetness and pleasure for about the next 20 minutes. Uh, is that the kind of gift the marriage is? unbroken sweetness and rhapsody. I think for a lot of us, we have to say that marriage is more of like the gift of surgery, where it is good and necessary and um, in the long run promotes health, but minute by minute, sometimes it's filled with pain and struggle and fear, and sometimes it even feels like the, the future is uncertain. So for purposes of today, of all the metaphors I could choose, uh, I'm not going to actually stick with surgery. I want to move more toward a metaphor of uh, gardening. I think, does Tim Keller talk about gardening in that Meaning of Marriage book? Has anyone read Tim Keller's Meaning of Marriage? Okay. I do recommend that book. Michael can probably tell you more about it. Um, there's a chance that I might be stealing that metaphor, but I haven't seen that book in a long time. But uh, gardening as a metaphor would say this, is that gardens give us a lot in the way of uh, produce and fruits and uh, beauty, perhaps, depending on what kind of garden it is. But gardens do require uh, regular maintenance, uh, even daily tending. And if you don't daily tend in some form or another to your garden, you will uh, eventually be overwhelmed by, by weeds. You can have the, the plants wither for lack of water. And the longer you wait and the less regular you are at your habitual uh, tending, the more um, the more work it is to recover. And that's where a lot of us are sometimes in our marriages, is feeling that we're, uh, we're behind and not sure how to get back on top of the maintenance duties. The, the good news about this, and I'll get into this, is that 
maintenance of a garden even can be fun. People have gardens largely for fun, and that is really also true of marriage. I don't want the rest of what I talk about to sound like it's a uh, completely heavy-duty, gut-wrenching exercise of necessary painful. Um, there's a lot of enjoyment just in the maintenance tasks, even in some of the repair tasks. And uh, But I'm going to save that fun stuff toward the end. We're going to do more blood and guts for the first few minutes. Okay. And Michael mentioned, too, to, I'm going to speak for a bit here and then really open it up for, for Q&A for a, a good chunk of our time. So the idea of maintenance, though, it, it really is a biblical one. Sometimes we have this misguided view that uh, marriage doesn't really require maintenance because it's a supernatural thing that God orchestrates for us, and we can just almost sort of relax throughout our marriage, uh, kind of leaning into our our commitments that we make at the altar and expect that our spouse will too. But marriage in the Bible is uh, a covenant. You may have heard that before. And a covenant in the Bible and in the ancient world was actually a formalized relationship between two parties. Uh, and part of that formalized structure in almost all covenants, and marriage is included, uh, there would be a description of renewal ceremonies that both parties would need to perform on a regular, almost timed basis in order to kind of keep the, the covenant fresh. So marriage, like every covenant in the Bible, every covenant in the ancient world, uh, requires kind of routine uh, re-upping, kind of checking in on how the other party is, explaining where you're at in it. Uh, these routine efforts that will uh, keep the marriage and keep the covenant strong. So I want to talk about just two aspects of, of renewal and maintenance. One is going to be reconciliation, which all of us probably need to do with our wives at some level. And then I guess you could call the second part is maintenance proper. And, the, and some of the fun stuff's in maintenance proper, as I'm calling it. But first let's talk about reconciliation. Uh, a Christian assumption about marriage is that it is always between two sinners. That's just like premise one. If you're in a in a Christian marriage, it is a marriage between you as a sinner and your your wife as a sinner. And what do sinners do in relationships? They harm each other all the time to different degrees in different ways. Uh, now, without being too dark about this, you know. People who are, if you're a Christian and you're married to, uh, even if even if you're a Christian and your wife is non-Christian, let's just say, you're both made an image of God, and image bearers don't only harm each other. Image bearers also can love each other and promote health, and so we're not dismissing that aspect. But uh, as I said, I'm going to the, the, the darker side of what it's like to be a sinner married to a sinner in what I'm about to say. So two things are true if you're a sinner married to a sinner, is that... Uh, you have brought harm to your wife uh, regularly, sometimes wittingly, sometimes unwittingly. But it's happening, and I would say it's happening uh, every single day. You know, just as, a, as an aside, if you're if you're a very mature believer, you're kind of okay with this idea that you sin against God regularly. You're kind of theologically that sort of makes sense to you that you're. That every day you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and there's something always to repent of. We get a little bit more defensive when we move into the human-to-human relationships to say, yeah, every day I don't love my wife with the wholeheartedness that God calls me to. So every day you're accruing some kind of 
I would call it like a moral residue, even with your even with your wife. So you and I are all, uh, and completely applying this to myself too. We are all violators in various ways with our spouses. What's this is going to be a whole other talk, but it, usually the species of the way that you violate your wife is. Um, <coughs> It's usually somehow rooted in your family of origin, somehow rooted in patterns you developed as a child. I'd love to get way more into that, but I just want to bookmark it. Um, usually the way that you sin against your wife is sort of predictable based on where you came from and how you learned to cope. But I do want to say this before you skewer me. Um, to be a sinner married to a sinner also means that you have been violated yourself every single day by your wife to one degree or another. You are not just a violator, but you are uh, a victim, too. Sometimes Christians, sometimes Christian men especially, never like to uh, play the victim card, as we sometimes say. And, okay, there's, yeah, fair enough, there's a way in which that card can be overplayed, and, and believe me, there's ridiculous amounts of ways that card can be overplayed. But I do want to just you know, ground ourselves a bit on scripture here and say, if you're married to a sinner, you are a victim of that sinner. You really are. Um, and that's, I think, got to be acknowledged in the name of balance. So uh, all this is to say that we do need reconciliation with our spouse. Like as you sit here with me, no matter what you talked about yesterday, no matter how, how fun it was to have date night last night or a movie together, um, there's, there's stuff uh, that, that's still bearing down upon which reconciliation is a is a need. Sometimes uh, I think it was, there's a version of really bad marriage counseling that I come across occasionally, and I'm not a perfect marriage counselor by any means. But there's a version where you go straight into telling a couple, I know you guys are having a lot of trouble, but um, you know the first thing to do would just be to go out, try to get some more date nights, get some time together. And where, what I find as a therapist where that fails is when there's all this like unreconciled harming of one another that's sort of in your recent history, and, and now we launch you to this um, kind of happy-go-lucky pattern of date nights and fun. <laughs> Both of you are kind of grimacing. It's this plastered smile as you're trying to get, make your, your way through a nice dinner in Oakland or something. Um, and you're kind of enjoying the moment, but there's a, this kind of burning sense of that there's stuff that's unreconciled between you. So I, I tend to like to tell people to consider heading into reconciliation before you um, act like everything's fine and go into date nights and other stuff. Though we will get to that. Um, so I want to give you a... Uh, this is where we go super practical. If you're with me at all so far, um, you might be ready to take a next step here, which is to consider a way to approach your own wife with a reconciling conversation. And so I want to just suggest a way of beginning it could even be very low key level reconciliation but a reconciling conversation with your wife now you're a violator and a victim as I've said but th this specific way of doing reconciliation focuses mostly on your um, beginning with the assumption that you're the violator some of you here sitting here actually I'm guessing probably almost all of you sitting here are more convinced that your wife is the main violator and you're the main victim. <laughs> if, you, if you had to divide, if you had to do the math, like maybe she's eighty percent the problem and you're twenty percent. That's how my marriage is. It's about eighty percent her. Um, and you know, as funny as that is, 
It might actually be true. Let's just assume that's true. Let's assume it's 90% her, because she is messed up, man, with some really, there's darkness with her, and she's nice to everybody else, but boy, when you, behind, let's just assume, let's just assume that. I'll just give you that. Uh, this way of doing reconciliation assumes that whatever that 10% is that's yours, that's where you start. You're, you're going to focus on that 10%, fully acknowledging that it's not the whole story. And that's that's a, that's a biblical. I'd say it's a biblical approach as well. It's it's the um, focusing on the log that's in your own eye before trying to take out the speck from your wife's eye. Some commentators have pointed out that the log it might not even be a log. It might not even be bigger than the speck. But if if there's even a speck in your own eye, it will appear log sized because of how close it is to your pupil. So let's just put aside the question of whether your speck is bigger than her log or vice versa. You're just going to focus on the thing that's in your eye. We're going to focus on your 10%, your 1% even. And here is a uh, a few-step process to, to try this out. You could do this today if you wanted to. Uh, number one, step for reconciliation, a reconciling conversation. Uh, number one, mentally ground yourself before you get anywhere near opening your mouth with her in your own status in Christ. And here's what that means. Uh, yeah, you're a sinner, like I said, but it, you know, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who's embraced him by faith, your actual status is... Um, that's on my phone, right? Okay. <laughs> your actual status is as a utterly forgiven, utterly cherished uh, son of your heavenly father, someone to whom Jesus Christ calls brother and friend. Um, that status... To be seen by the Father, even no matter how dark you've been, no matter no matter if it's ninety nine percent your problems in the marriage, you are a um, a cherished, beloved, utterly cosmically secure person because of what Jesus did for you, and because of the love of the Father. Um, if I had a magic way to kind of get people to kind of let that fact about them kind of sink in at an emotional level that could ground them, I would. I would pay anything for that wand because if you can ground yourself in that before you have any conflictual conversations with your wife, your defenses will go down by a massive degree. Our biggest problem when we get into these reconciling conversations with our wives is we do, we, um, we put our dukes up at some level or maybe not like literally, but we, we, we kind of wall up because we're deeply afraid uh, of being attacked, of being shamed. And the best antidote to that, and it's an antidote that only Christians have access to, is to have this um, experiential recognition that uh, God himself knows your sin deeper than your wife ever will, and yet you are utterly secure. If you know you're secure, you can handle almost anything that comes out of either of your mouths in hard reconciling conversations. So that's number one, is to ground yourself. And it might mean like literally just taking a breath and going, Jesus... Thanks for taking care of me. I'm safe in your arms. Here I go. I'm going to go talk to her. <laughs> uh, literally do that. Okay. Number two. From that really unthreatened place, this is still before you open your mouth. Get curious about the way that you've caused your wife to suffer. Get curious about it. This is not... Uh, here's how men who are Christians don't get curious about it. We immediately declare it to be a truth, but then we don't get specific enough and there's no curiosity behind it. So we say stuff like to ourselves, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a selfish son of a gun. I'm, I'm, I'm no, uh, I'm no perfect husband. But if you were required to speak more than three or four more sentences about the way in which you weren't, you would start to find yourself at a, a lack of ability to speak. You, you wouldn't have specifics. Step two is um, real deep curiosity from that place of safety. Deep curiosity about the way that you've brought um, harm or suffering to your wife. For some of you, it's your harshness and your anger. It's a it's a it's a um, kind of a hot uh, pushiness, or um, just, it's really anger that she experiences. Others of you, that's not your thing at all. You go to passivity, to mentally emotionally checking out. For some of you, it's going to your garage to pursue your hobbies uh, when the stuff going gets tough, or probably for a lot of us, it's retreating into the internet or some someplace. But some of you, it's like the you you harm your wife through the um, kind of the outward pushing, angry stuff. Others of you, it's the retreating passivity, and either way, she feels either attacked or shut out. And there's every manner of uh, variation of those two poles of the spectrum that you yourself specialize in. What's kind of cool, it's not cool, it's dark, but it's interesting, is that none of you sin against your wives just like in the same way that the next guy does. I've got my own special way. Um, You wouldn't believe it, uh, but so do you. Get curious about that. That's step two. Um, Curiosity can be accompanied by prayer in this. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Search me, God, and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me. Psalm 139 is a prayer of curiosity saying, I want to get to know what's offensive about the way I operate in my marriage. Lord, help me to see it. Um, So, that's part two. Let's go to part three here. Uh, Now, ask her, this is where you open your mouth with her for the first time, ask her how she's been hurt by you. And this is very powerful if you do this kind of out of the blue. This is why you could do it today, no matter how much or how little deep conversations you've had. Ask her how she's been hurt. One of the ways that God answers Psalm 139 is by having human beings speak to you the answer. Um, Assume that God may have wisdom for you um, from your wife. So I call this the human-to-human version of Psalm 139. It's actually also saying to her, um, search me, wife, and, and know me. Tell me if there's any offensive way in me. Uh, here's a, a one script you can use for this is I wrote this one down, but I kind of like this script. But you can make your own. Um, honey, I'm probably blind to some of the ways I've caused you pain. I recognize that I'm probably hard to live with sometimes. Tell me what that's like for you, and then you just listen. Um, some of you, if you do this, like the tears will come down her face instantly. Um, but Point three is, it, it, it's a listening point. It's used really drawing her out and hearing what her experience is like with you. This is um, specifically not a stage where you um, obviously defend yourself. Well, I don't think, I don't think I've done that. I don't think, I, I didn't mean that when you, no, you're just, even if it seems crazy to you what she's saying, you're just drawing it out, man. Drawing it out. Just get, keep inviting one of my, um, I call this with my therapy clients the $500 statement because I'm convinced that it's actually worth $500. I don't collect that fee from it. It's a, it's a bonus to my clients, but it's worth it. The $500 statement is tell me more. 
So if you say, I just kind of, I just, I'm curious about the ways that I've, I've caused you pain, and she goes, Oh, it, I mean, I wouldn't, that's going too far. I, I mean, sometimes I'm, I feel a little judged. Tell me more. Oh, more than that? Well, just when you, um, come home and you get angry about the way I blah, 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 blah. Oof. Yeah, can you tell me more about that? Just stick with it! Tell me more! Um, she doesn't, if you're married to a sinner and you're a sinner, uh, she doesn't entirely trust your motives here, so you have to keep, like, um, proving that you're not gonna weaponize what she says. You, you gotta not weaponize it, just keep drawing it out. Trap. <laughs> That's right. I mean, this conversation can go south, uh, pretty easily too. But if it doesn't, you go back to point one. Ground yourself. You're safe in Christ. Hang in there. Okay. Number three is listen beneath her hot emotions to her cool emotions. If you begin to have this conversation, you may get hot emotions out of her, which is like her own anger. Like, oh, finally you asked. Let me, I'm going to tell you. Uh, or it might be, haven't you heard what I've been saying? What do you mean? How have you harmed me? Like, I've been telling you. <laughs> anyway, hot emotions again. It's <laughs> anger. It's defensiveness. That kind of stuff. Always underneath hot emotions is uh, a set of cool emotions which are in the family of loneliness, sadness, um, shame even, uh, usually hopelessness. In your listening to your wife, you're, you're going to be eventually trying to draw from, invite her to speak out of listening for the cool emotions underneath the hot. Um, you know, one, one script on th- that on this can be, you know, let's, you, let's say she gives you the hot emotional response. You can say, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, I get that makes you really angry when I do X, Y, and Z. I'm wondering, though, also, if that could be really lonely. You can make a little hypothetical pitch toward the cool emotions. I'm wondering if that may also make you sad, too. If that happened to me, I would also be, I would feel pretty ashamed. If that happened to me, um, you can make a little tease toward the soft. But when you get into soft territory... You are in, in, you're getting into reconciliation country in a big way. Uh, my one warning to you is when you, if you get into soft emotions with your wife, um, you really have the ability to hurt her right there if you blow it at that moment. That's where she's very vulnerable and you've done good work up until that moment if you get her to speak out of that softness. But man, if you jack it up at this moment, you will lose ground. <laughs> so this is where you stay rooted, really rooted in the fact that you do not need to score any points here. This is a, not a tit-for-tat. You are safe in Christ. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, hot emotions are self-protective. If you're past the hot emotions, she is not protected at that point. Um, and then step four is finally where you do respond yourself. Um, there's a few different responses that are possible to when she gets into cool emotions. One is, you've heard it before, but empathy. Empathy is just saying, even if you think she's a little bit overwrought about whatever it is, empathy is just saying, I, I get how that might be hard. I can imagine that would be... Empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of your spouse um, as much as possible, thinking and feeling your way into her, and then putting words to it. That would be, that would be hard. Um, it's in this step four, there's also a place to express remorse. If you can, if you are at all cut to the heart, even mildly <coughs> express your remorse for causing her that. Um, 
but the main question I think for step four is, is this, this is, I picked this up from another uh, couples therapist. It's the question, is there anything I can do for you right now? That's probably worth at least $350. Is there, <laughs> is there anything I can do for you right now? Cause she might say, no, that's enough. She might say, now can we do a date night? She might say, can you apologize? She might say, no, really the fact that you listen to me. When I do couples counseling, if a, if a husband or a wife asks that question, what else can I do for you? And they've done really good listening and empathizing up to that point. Very often the answer is, I, I don't think anything else. Uh, that's, that's what my heart really wanted is to be heard and to be come alongside. Um, you've done repair work at step three just by being a good um, kind of priestly listener. Okay, that is just a super short helicopter view of a way to do a reconciling conversation. It's, it's almost ridiculously short, but it's one of, I almost want to give it to you just so you know that there's hope that, that these kind of conversations can exist. They're not rocket science, um, and um, you can recover some of the lost ground that you've got relationally with your wife. Uh, I'm debating on what to do next week with the wives, because I could do this exact same talk, or I could flip it, and uh, only if you promise to try to get the MP3 and talk about what it's like to be the initiator of the heart, the initiator of where I've been hurt with you. Because this is all about, I've probably hurt you, tell me about it. There's also a proper place for, seriously, woman or man, um, this is driving me crazy. I, I need to talk about it. So I'm going to, I just, let's just say that's a legitimate conversation. I won't tell you how to do it right now. Maybe I'll do it next week. Can you get the MP3? And then, oh man, i got to run out of time here. Can I just do two minutes on maintenance? The main burden of this talk was what I just gave you, is this idea of uh, the reconciling conversation. The, the, very, the smaller point, which is also very important, is just the maintenance proper. This is the realm of date nights and stuff. This is the fun side. Um, John Gottman, who is uh, almost everyone's favorite marriage therapist, researcher, he's not a Christian guy, but Christians love this guy. And I, oh, I didn't bring the book. It's in my car. If you ask me later, I'll tell you. It's my favorite book on practical kind of how to do marriage well. Um, he talks about this essential quality of friendship, marital friendship being the thing that will sustain you and give you this kind of ballast to handle all the ups and downs and how you harm each other. Marital friendship is maintained by, um, I, I would put it this way, there's a maintenance, there's a daily maintenance level of marital friendship and there's a deeper maintenance level. Daily maintenance is this. Every day, see if you can bear this, Every day, try to have some kind of conversation with your wife that goes along the lines of, tell me about your day while I put my cell phone away and close up the laptop. What was the day like for you? And just listen. And those of you who have kids know that this is almost entirely impossible to do before 9 p.m. So you might have like a nine-minute window. But you can get a lot done in nine minutes. That nine minutes, by the way, between 9 when they fall asleep and 9.09 when you fall asleep. Uh, but this, does, this is not a fabulously deep, rich conversation. It's a, it's a check-in, a marital friendship check-in where you say, um, you know, the best way to do this, who knows what the rose and thorn question is? Anybody ever heard, heard of this? I would love it if no one knew this because it's, okay, great. This is almost like so generic, but it's, so, it's uh, in a good way. Um, Rose and Thorn is a great thing with your kids, but it's also a great, great thing with your wife. It's saying, tell me what the greatest part of your day was. What, what was the greatest part of your day? What's the rose? Um, what was the hardest part? What was the thorn? That You could do that in nine minutes. Um, what was what was great today? Well, I don't know. I, did, I, I bought some new stamps, and it's the cool Flannery O'Connor new stamp. and that, It can be really mild. 
Uh, what's, what's the hardest part? Oh, that coworker of mine. And all you're doing again is listening, checking in. It's proving that you're interested in her as a person, her experience, that she matters. Um, uh, in my family, this does require a media blackout, as my wife calls it, where we do really unplug devices. Otherwise, it's like this. What, what's your uh, What was your rose and thorn today? Just a minute. Let me get back to Michael here because I'm speaking to his church tomorrow. Uh, that's daily maintenance. And then longer-term maintenance uh, is... Uh, it is the realm of date nights. It's the realm of like, yeah, seriously, spend the money on a babysitter, get some time together. And during those times, go deeper in your curiosity about her as a person. Some scripts here are, hey, what was it like growing up in your family around, uh, what was conflicts like in your family growing up? How did, how did uh, what was the best vacation you ever took growing up? Um, getting curious about the way that, um, what would you do with $5 million if she won the lottery and couldn't give it to the church but had to spend it herself in one month. I, I don't know, something like that. Um, I hope you notice the theme of curiosity through the reconciliation and the maintenance proper tasks. You, you're, you're married to a woman who is unique in the history of the world. There will never be someone again that, that, that graces the face of the earth in terms of her personality traits, her personal history, her aspirations, uh, how she suffered, um, who God has made her to be. For crying out loud, get interested in such a person like that. Um, see beyond the places that she's harmed you. And uh, stay curious. Okay, I'm just going to end in prayer real quick after that. And then if there's any Q&A. Lord, um, have mercy on us because we are married to sinners. And um, have mercy on our wives too because they are married to us. May we uh, be so rooted in you, however, in our safety, our status, our in Christness that we have the emotional wherewithal, um, the curiosity and the compassion to become deeply interested in our spouse and interested to repair places where we've done harm. Um, thank you for your love, Lord Jesus, and be with us as we seek to pursue the adventure of marriage. Amen. <laughs>